Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody back to another episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I appreciate you. I seriously do. Thank you so much for listening to the show. On the program today, we have a great guest. I speak with author, explorer, and a former zoo and aquarium professional, Julie Henry. She is the author of the new book coming out this January called Wisdom from the Wild, The Nine Unbreakable Laws of Leadership from the Animal Kingdom. You know, to be completely honest, having this podcast, I get pitched all the time from publicists and publishers who want their authors on this podcast. And, I, you know, honestly, I, I am selective who comes on the show. I want to make sure that they are, you know, going to be a good guest. I want to make sure that I'm interested in talking with them. And I just want to make sure it's something that I would want to promote. And I'll tell you what, I was so impressed with Julie's interview and especially talking with her because she has so much experience in the zoo and aquarium field. And I was so intrigued how she literally took this out of the box idea of her book comparing humans to animals and how the animal kingdom can actually teach us in the workplace. And it was very you know, interesting to figure out what we have in common with naked mole rats, what we could literally learn from being like giraffes and termites. I, I, I'm serious, like stay with me. It is very, very fascinating. I really enjoyed Julie because I, you know, she has worked at some of the top facilities in North America, including the Shedd Aquarium. She's worked at the Cincinnati Zoo. She also has worked at Bush Gardens. She has done a lot of conservation work as well. She has also traveled the world, including doing some work in New Zealand. She talks about an experience with a little blue penguin. It is hilarious, but you know, I really just enjoyed speaking with her. And I know a lot of you listening to the show are aspiring zookeepers or people who want to work with marine mammals, maybe in an aquarium. And Julie just gives you some great insight and some pro tips on how to land your dream job. She did something, and she told me in this interview, she did something that no one else has ever told me on this show on how she landed her job at the Shedd Aquarium. And it is, it's a value bomb. So make sure to check out and listen to the full interview because she does something that literally landed her the job. It was risky, but she did it and it worked. So make sure you stay tuned. I also encourage you as always to join us for the after show. The after show is available for Patreon Patreons only. All you have to do is head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max and you get access to the exclusive after show interview. This after show is a little, you know, touchy. We talk about the new documentary conservation game that's coming out. Um, it's kind of highlighting people who work with animals and who bring them on TV. So AKA people like me, Jack Hanna, and also talks about zoos and aquariums. And it's a pretty controversial documentary. So in the after show, I asked Julie about that. It is a fascinating conversation. Once again, it's available only for Patreons only. Before we get to the interview, I just want to say happy Thanksgiving to everyone uh, listening here, I guess, in North America or the States. Hope you uh, have a fantastic one. Hope you enjoy it with family and friends. Just on a side note, 
I'm still waiting for internet at my new house. If you're not aware, we actually just moved about 95% of my animals to our new property here in Idaho. And we literally love the place, but we do not have internet yet. So I'm still recording right now at my parents' house. It sounds like I'm in the bathroom, but I'm recording in one of their spare rooms. And last episode, I recorded in the alligator house. And then I realized, oh my goodness, how loud the alligator pump was. So I've switched to recording in their spare room, but thank you for being patient and bearing with me. Hopefully, next time you hear from me, I'll have internet and I'll be able to record in my new office slash recording studio. With that said, I hope you have a fantastic Thanksgiving. If you don't celebrate Thanksgiving where you live, it's okay. Just have a good meal with friends and family. That's kind of what we do, and uh, you'll have Thanksgiving just like us. Let's get to the show. Julie, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's so awesome to be here. Yes. And I love you're the first person in over 200 episodes to actually have a cat in the background of the interview. (laughs) Yeah, I think he's glaring at me like um, this is supposed to be where the rocking chair is. And so. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. At first, I thought it was like a stuffed animal. And then I saw it move. And I was like, oh, wait, that's a cat. (laughs) That's the cat. Yeah, well, I am so excited to talk to you today. First of all, your publicist reached out to me and pitched you. And in the pitch, she mentioned naked mole rats. And I thought, oh, my God, I love these (laughs) things. And I was like, sold, sold. She's totally going to be able to come on the, you know, come on the show. But give my listeners a little background, because apparently you have a lot of experience in the zoo and aquarium world being a senior leader. Yeah, you know, so I started my career working at the Cincinnati Zoo and at the Shad Aquarium in Chicago, and then uh, decided after a while, why am I, you know, teaching kids about the ocean when I could actually be in Chicago where it's snowy? Let me come down to Florida because I really wanted to be in the warmer weather, but I wanted to see science happen in real time, and I wanted to see a sea turtle bioluminesce and tag sharks. So I came down here to Moat Marine Laboratory and then um, spent some years at Bush Gardens. And then after about 10 years, I thought, all right, I'm ready to try some new things and be creative. But my passion for animals and sharing that has just driven me my whole life. Wow. You just, okay. I am fanboying out right now because you just hit like some of my, (laughs) some of like the best known facilities in North America. First of all, Cincinnati zoo. I have, I actually have friends there, but I've never been to the Cincinnati zoo, but you have the famous Fiona, correct? Yes. Yes. And I was there a long time ago when I remember my intern year, we opened the birdhouse. And so that was a really formative experience of, uh, of helping, helping to do that as an intern. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And if you're wondering at uh, Fiona, the hippo I'm talking about, and then, and then you said the shed aquarium <laughs> in Chicago, really? <laughs> yeah, I'm a Chicago girl. And that was always my dream to go work at the shed aquarium and I couldn't believe it when I was standing there and the people would come over from the Chicago Bears football game and stand in front of our habitat with the beluga whales and ask me questions. And I didn't know all the answers and probably still don't today, but it was just magical to be with them. Yeah, that is amazing. I actually have a friend, a good friend from Chicago, and she introduced me to Luminati's Pizza. Have you ever had that? <laughs> You know what? No, I, I oh. now I'm going to have a new pizza place. I'm a Aurelio's girl at heart. <laughs> a who? A what? What is it called? A, Aurelio's? Aurelio's. That's what I grew up with. They have one of those in downtown now, but uh, you might convince me to try a new pizza. Okay, now what about Gino's East? That has pretty good pizza. 
Yeah. Okay. I'll give you that. Gino's East. I like. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, and so, you know, a lot of people, I, I guess before we dive in, you know, into your book and kind of that whole process, a lot of people listening are aspiring, you know, people who want to work with animals in a marine field or a, like a zoo field. And can you like give us some advice or tell us like how you got into those positions? Because the shed aquarium is very, very hard to get into. And I have a good friend who has been working at an accredited marine facility, one of the top in the world for over 10 years. And the shed was like the cream of the crop and she still could not get a job at the shed. <laughs> I'm serious. It's hard. Yeah, no, I, 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 <laughs> I feel that person's pain as you're, as you're talking. And, you know, I think it was just, continuing to put my hand up and say, I'll try. And I got turned down. I got turned down for some of the facilities I, I wanted to work at. Um, but when I went to college, I studied zoology and I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew, well, I didn't know. I found out real quickly that I was actually a much better, um, communicator of science information than I was actual scientist. <laughs> and so I thought, gosh, where can I share my love of this? Because I just have to be at a place that I can say, oh, look at this. This is amazing. Don't you think it's amazing too? And that was zoos and aquariums. But to get there, I was working at a rehab facility, working at a wildlife facility in college, volunteering a lot. Of course, we're trying to change that now and, and make things more accessible <laughs> to people. So we don't have to, um, you know, try to find places to <laughs> work for free, if you will. But it just was continuing. You know, when I was at, at uh, Cincinnati, I was thinking about this before we got on the phone and um, I just asked everybody, how did you get to where you are? What would you do differently? Who should I talk to? And, and how can I get to know some places? And the people that I worked with at Cincinnati, I said, my dream is to work at Shedd Aquarium. Who should I talk to? What should I do? And, and my um, director at the time, he said, oh, I know Ted Beatty. And I said, well, who's that? And he said, well, the, the president and CEO. And I said, well, great. What am I going to do <laughs> with that? He said, well, I'll just send them a letter. And so he said, I still have it. I still have the letter. Ted Beatty actually sent me a letter in 1996 and said, you know, Thane Maynard um, told me you might apply and I'll, I'll be sure when there's an opening that, that my team lets you know. And then after that, you know, it's, it's up to you. But, um, and that's, that's what happened is I just, and actually, if I could just say one more thing about this, the secret is that um, I actually got turned down for that first job at Shed Aquarium. I was supposed to, I really wanted that job. And they, they said, we, uh, we don't think you're the right fit. And I called back. I don't know why, but I called back and said, are you sure? Please? <laughs> can, can, can you tell me more about that? And they, they were so, I think, caught off guard. They said, well, and they gave me some information. And I said, well, I haven't even, you haven't even called my references. Can you just call them? And then, then if you don't think I'm the right fit, then I won't come to work for you. But I think, I think I could be good. And I, and I think I could learn a lot. And it was that extra call that, uh, had them take another look at me. Wow. That, okay. And which, <laughs> which position were you applying for at the shed? Well, <laughs> yeah. So that's the other part is I was applying for what they call an interpreter position. So that basically was on the floor of the aquarium, interpreting the animals for the people who were walking through. And I was super shy kid would prefer to just be outside in nature. And that's the, that's where the entry level job was. So that's where I was going to go. And that's the job I got. And so it was learning real quickly how to talk to a thousand people at a time and how to think on my feet. And, and um, it was the best, best job training, but life training I could have got, honestly. 
Yeah. Oh my God. That is just, wow. And so you literally, wait, how long did you wait to call them back to follow up because you didn't get the job? Did you call them immediately and say, wait a second, I need to talk to Barbara and (laughs) HR. Who, why? I mean, like, how long did you wait? (laughs) Well, you know, you have to remember, like, I'm graduating college. Okay. I need a job. Mm. And um, if there's this is like no cell phones, I'm like waiting by the answer machine, you know, oh my God. <laughs> 1996 at the end of 1996. And so after days and days went by and I finally got the job. I mean, I'm sorry. I finally got the call that said no. I thought, well, I just I just don't I can't accept that. <laughs> so I think I just called back immediately while I still <laughs> while I still had the nerve because I just and. Yeah, you know, who knows? Maybe that wasn't always the right fit, but I have a right move, but I just needed to try. I just needed to try. Gosh, I love that. You just, man, I I love that because there are some people out there who will hear one no in their life and be like, well, I guess it wasn't meant to be. I'm going to go in a complete different direction. And I love that you just were like, nope, this isn't going to work. I'm just going to continue to do it. And... (laughs) No, it's, it's, it's really inspiring. And I feel I can relate a lot to this. I've never worked at a zoo or aquarium, but you know, working with animals, I run my own nonprofit animal rescue. So I I work with them, but working in media and, you know, appearing on national TV and in the, in the entertainment industry, I have heard a million no's. And it's like, if I would have like listened to the people who said I never was going to be on TV and I would have just, and, and if I would have listened to them and said, well, I guess it wasn't for me, then I wouldn't be here with you today. So I just love that perseverance, how you just, you're saying like, nope, it's not an answer. I'm just going to continue to go. Yeah. You know, and I had a lot of people in my life. I mean, the guy I was dating at the time, he's going, why do you want to work at the aquarium? Like, that's not a real job. You mm. can't just work someplace for fun. And I'm going, well, why not? Because work <laughs> needs to be your passion. It needs to be like, if I'm going to spend a lot of time someplace, you know, and so I had a lot of people saying they didn't understand my career choices. They didn't understand that. Um, but I had two major college professors that got it. And they were the people that helped want, motivate me. One of them had worked at the Missouri Botanical Garden and she got my, my you know, intersection of teaching people about animals. And so, yeah, you're right. It was, um, and I've heard <laughs> plenty of no's since then, but every no helps me refine my, either my approach um, or, okay, fine, it might not be the right fit, even if I don't agree, but let's just keep going. I'm, I'm too passionate not to. Yeah, and we should say for people applying now, I don't know if that would work necessarily in this day and age. Cause you said this was back in the nineties. Like I, I, I don't know how, I mean, I mean, honestly, I'm not trying to discredit what you did, but I just, because of the amount of applicants, I don't know how that would work following up, but I mean, it, it, it never hurts asking, you know, why maybe you didn't get the position or any, would you give it, you know, give me any critiques or, you know, maybe next time I apply, you know, I, I don't think following up could hurt. Yeah, I think my key was because I called my references and I knew they hadn't talked to them. Like, I like, let me just give them that out mm. <laughs> or that chance, if you will. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. Have they said, you know, this is just not the right fit. Here's what you need to work on. I would have taken that and I would have come back because eventually in my career, I was going to work for John G. Shedd Aquarium. Even if I was going to be the 80 year old volunteer at the end of my life, I was going to work there. Wow. Okay. So you're at the shed and do you work your way to becoming a marine mammal trainer? Um, I was an interpreter for a while and then I got a job over in the education department. So that was just a golden opportunity because I was taking kids on our research vessel to the Bahamas and they were tasting salt water for the first time. So that, that changes your life, you know, watching kids go through that. So that's, 
that's why I always stayed in that education, education side of the field. Mm-hmm. Okay, very, very nice. But you got to work with a variety of different animals. You mentioned beluga whales. Oh my God, aren't they spectacular? <laughs> They're the best. And um, I swear we had some conversations when I was I was standing on the floor. They're just, they're such vocal creatures and they would tease the dolphins who were next to them and the same, they shared the same water. So they would mess with each other back and forth. They're very, very creative animals and certainly a lot of fun in overnights. And the melon on their head, like when you touch their melon, I know it sounds weird, listeners, <laughs> if you've never done it, but if you ever have the opportunity, it is one of the most, it, I can't explain it. It's like a squishy little squishy toy. Well, and they're so funny, right? Because they can move their neck around. So I think yeah. that's what makes them so they look like a Muppet, you know, yes. and they look like they're smiling all the time. But then I swear, you know, they call them the canaries of the sea because they make all those noises. Mm-hmm. Um, but I swear they have so much. I just want to know what they're thinking half the time because I swear they're giving me the side eye, like telling me some inside joke at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And so right next to them, didn't don't, don't doesn't the shed have Pacific white sided dolphins? Is that the species they have? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, oh. exactly right. Yep. Next habitat over. Okay, so who would you say were were uh who was the most intelligent between the beluga whales or the Pacific white-sided dolphins? Well, I would say that the dolphins think they are, but I got to give it to the belugas. Really? <laughs> really? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I think so. Just why I mean the dolphins they're certainly highly coordinated and highly trained and, and they work together well and they're amazing in their own right. But I think the belugas, I'm, I'm a big fan of cheeky, 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 cheeky personalities. And I think the belugas have that and watching their intelligence as they, as they navigated, you know, day in and day out, I'd give it to the belugas. Nice. Now, did they house them? I know you said they were separated. Would they house them sometimes together? Because during the show, don't they have them together or were they always separate? They were, they were always, they were always separate, but they could still, you know, communicate since they, since they basically shared water. Oh, okay. Very interesting. All right. I want to ask you, this is kind of a hot topic now. And if you don't want to dive into it, oh, do you like how I said pun dive into it? Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you. Thank you. Um, You know, right now, you know, zoos and aquariums, they are receiving some criticisms regarding keeping cetaceans, uh, whales and dolphins in captivity. What are your thoughts on that seeing firsthand working at a facility who who kept them? Do you think that they, you know, can have a decent life living in a zoo and aquarium? Or what do you have to say to critics? I know it's kind of a loaded question. Yeah, you know, and it's a fair question. I mean, I think that's where I would start. I mean, I think that keeps everyone honest. And, and I, I appreciate people who who think critically and, and think critically about animal um, well-being. And I'll say when I started at Shed Aquarium in, in 97, we had those same conversations because we had had an unfortunate situation where a calf had passed away. So we had a lot of people who were you know, really upset about that. And it had happened when, and when guests were watching. And so it's tragic. It was as tragic for the keepers and for the trainers as it was for the guests. I mean, I think that's where I would start is that sometimes the assumption is that, um, the animals don't have the kinds of relationships that they really do with the people that care for them. So animal welfare is, is just at the highest forefront. It's the very front of what zoos and aquariums do. Um, it's why they do it. And I think the other big question for me is, is access. I mean, in order to affect conservation change and, and the the way we need to go as, as a human species and caring for our world, it's it's the access to interacting with these animals and seeing them, which is which is 
core of that, you know, if there weren't student aquariums and, and, and accredited ones, right, that are doing it the right way and, and in a transparent and trustworthy way, we wouldn't have the ability to connect. So I'd say that it's, um, the industry continues to evolve. The industry continues to have good conversations and there's a lot of support and, um, uh, you know, ties between all the zoos and aquariums and, and I, zoos and aquariums matter for a lot of reasons and they matter to a lot of people. There's over, you know, 240 million visitors a year to accredited zoos and aquariums and, and the animals are at the, at the forefront of that and will continue to be from the animal welfare side of things. Yeah. And I love how you said evolving because zoos have changed since I was a kid. Oh my God. Our, the zoo I used to go to as a kid was God awful. I mean, and I'm not, I am criticizing them, but like at the time it was like concrete barren enclosures. That's how zoos were, but now they've switched to more naturalistic and zoos. We've seen an amazing shift in, in the last few years, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I a hundred percent agree with you. I mean, I think that's why critique is fair because without critique, we wouldn't, maybe not, we wouldn't, but we maybe not evolving the way we need to, but yeah, a hundred percent zoos are coming along at the same time. And, you know, the exhibit design discussions that I was involved in were all about, um, just as much, you know, the animals are not there they're not on public view all the time, right? It's just as important for the animals to have places for them to rest and for them to be out of the view of people as it is for the keepers to be able to access, et cetera. But yeah, evolution is key. Yeah. And I also want to say in a place like Chicago where the Shedd Aquarium is, there are so many inner city kids who would never in a million years be able to see a beluga whale in person or a dolphin. Or, I mean, I'm, I, come from Idaho, so a landlocked state. So when I went to Florida and went to SeaWorld for my first time as a kid, like I remember I was given the option, you can go to Disney World, Universal Studios or SeaWorld. I was obsessed with animals. I'm like, I'm going to SeaWorld. And that was the first time I ever got to see those animals in person. I was obsessed. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. You know, when I was, you think about penguins, right? Penguins mm. do not live in our entire hemisphere. <laughs> Nowhere in the Northern Hemisphere do they live, right, in the wild. And I was fortunate to go to graduate school in New Zealand. And the first time I saw a penguin in the wild, when it swam up to my kayak, I about fell over into the water. <laughs> and my New Zealand friends were like, yeah, yeah, penguins. I mean, for us, it's like seeing the the egrets walk around, right, or the bottom-nosed oh dolphins God. here in Florida. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like... No, 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 no. You don't understand this animal. Like I cannot see this animal unless I go to a zoo and aquarium and who knew I was ever going to go to New Zealand for graduate work. And if that would never have happened, I would never have seen a penguin. I mean, that's important to see these animals and, and care about them and make good decisions. 100%. And was that a little blue penguin from New Zealand? <laughs> Yep, I think they were attracted to the color of our paddles or something, the action or whatever. But yep, little blue penguins. Oh, the, oh my God, they're the cutest things in the world. Aren't they like the size of a pineapple? I've never seen one in person. <laughs> yeah, they're about the size of the, the cat that was sitting back here a little bit ago. But yeah, the, the pineapple is a good good descriptor. It's so funny. I was talking with my friends because, you know, we go back and do stuff on the uh, Today Show. And we always work with African penguins and they... Uh, my friends at the Adventure Aquarium, they have blue penguins, but it's funny because I was like, what do you think about using them as an ambassadors? And they're like, no, they're like really not nice. They're kind of nippy. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. You get the pe penguin habitat and they dive bomb you, but, you know, it's all yeah, right. <laughs> it is what it is. Oh, my God. Okay. So after the Shed Aquarium, where does your adventure take you? To Bush Gardens? 
No, to um, Moat Marine Laboratory. So oh, nice. to your earlier point of trying to get into these careers, you know, I'm in a department of 30 people at Shad Aquarium and then the department at the time, the education department here at Moat Marine Laboratory in Sarasota, Florida had three people. <laughs> so I was uh, keeping tabs on that department because my family had moved down here as well. So I had a connection and, and then one person decided to move on and I thought, well, I've got to go like this, is <laughs> this is it. And I was ready. I was ready. Like I said, I wanted to get in the forefront of science. I mean, we used to have coming down here, the education department, we'd have scientists call us up like, Hey, Julie, bring your summer camp kids. I just got in a shark from Greenland and I'm going to take pictures of it for the book and we're going to look at it and, and analyze it, but bring kids. I'm like, great. So me and 20 kids would go run in to see this shark. And it was just so accessible and real and, and, uh, and just magical. Wow. That sounds, wow. You're just at the forefront of everything. That sounds incredible. <laughs> it, it was, it was awesome. And, and Jeannie Clark, who, who founded, um, Moat Marine Laboratory in 1955, when she was an ichthyologist of scientists who studies fish long before there were many women ichthyologists and she wanted to study sharks. So she was a legend and I, knew about her since I was a kid. And then all of a sudden I'm, you know, sharing the stage with her, talking about Moat's research and then, you know, doing yoga with her after work. Like, how does that happen? Well, it happens at a place like Moat where you can do yoga next to a world-renowned shark scientist. That is so cool. What was one thing you learned about sharks that blew your mind when you're working with this lady who's like this famous fish expert? One thing that just mind blown. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to answer this question the opposite way. Sorry, but I, when you said that, what, what amazed me was was how much Jeannie still wanted to know oh, <laughs> about sharks. I like she that. She would learn, she would publish a paper. And then, you know, even into her 90s, I believe she lived to be 93, but even mm -hmm. into her 90s, she was taking research trips around the world, bringing students with her because that was so important to her. And she was insatiable in her learning. She wanted to be in the midst of all the parties. She just was curious but also wanted to share and she was the most i mean she was she was dr eugenie clark but i always knew her as Jeannie. she just she wanted to i mean my kids sold her girl scout cookies i mean that's the kind of human she was and then she could turn it on and talk sharks you know forever but it was so, came from such a heart-centered place that wanting to share I love that answer. And I love how she was humble enough to just because we've met them before in the field, you meet a stuffy scientist or someone who knows it all and called me Dr. Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, get off your high horse. Like, there's yeah. still stuff that and, and I'm I love admitting that like, we don't know everything. Like I, I love learning new things. I love it. I learn a new thing. Every time I do a podcast, I'll learn something new. And I just yeah, I love that being open to that it sounds like she was a really humble person. Yeah, unbelievably so. And, you know, being there was where I really learned that science is about more questions than answers. You know, I have an entire college degree in science, and it wasn't until I was around working scientists that I really got, oh, you do this research project, and then it spurns 10 more questions, and you didn't really kind of answer what you started to answer. <laughs> but now there's all of this. That was fascinating to me. Like, oh, now, because that's how I see the world, right? Like, I don't, if we were to go right now out into the ocean and, and we would be snorkeling, I wouldn't remember half the fish's names, but I could look for the patterns and wonder how they're swimming and wonder their habitat and what they're doing. That's how I see the world. And I was nurtured at Moat. Yeah, that's awesome. So after the marine laboratory, where, where does your adventure take you? 
So after the Marine Laboratory, I won the Rotary Ambassadorial Scholarship to study abroad. So it was a big thing because I was 30 and I left everything behind. I left my career. I left my cats. Oh no! <laughs> I moved to the other side of the world, lived at the top of the hill, had um, two TV channels and no car and uh, thought if I'm going to live on the other side of the world and study, I'm going to study outdoor education because I really want to know um, what it's like um, here, and, you know, with such high tourism, a little tiny island country in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and uh, really tied closely with the Maori population, the native people of New Zealand. And it was just so <laughs> it was so magical because I went over there thinking I've 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 achieved a lot. I'm 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 vice president of education at this marine laboratory and I love it. And I'm so excited. And, and over there it was um, what's your name? Julie. Oh. Hey Jules, what are you doing? You want you want to go for a walk? I'm like, wait a minute. What happened to like all like in America? We get so tied on in the states, you know, like you said, like PhDs and X Y Z, and and the people that I met just wanted to know me and they wanted to explore outside and it changed the whole way I um, saw my career and made me a much better uh, educator and and just I think overall human because I had to let that all go. Like let me just be who I am. Let me be this environmentalist. Let me just be a an explorer of the world. Oh, that sounds beautiful. I'm just picturing like Lord of the Rings because that's where they filmed it. I've never been to New Zealand. So that's that's what I'm picturing. Like you living in a little hobbit hut in New Zealand and just walking around with Frodo. (laughs) I'm kidding. But uh, yeah, that's amazing. Did you ever see a wild platypus in New Zealand? Uh, I, I took a um, a tourist trip in Australia specifically to see a platypus. And so, yes, like on someone's farm in the water, we saw we saw a platypus. Okay. Aren't they in New Zealand, though? I thought my buddy told me they lived in New Zealand in, in some parts. Am I mistaken? I If they do, I, I mean, yeah, if they do, I don't know. I know I was in Australia when I okay. when I was looking for that animal okay i just have always wanted to see a wild platypus i'm sure like it probably was just a little <laughs> glimpse you know what i mean <laughs> yeah it was very much like see the okay oh there it is okay yep that was it yep that's why we all went on this long trek but it was <laughs> it was worth it it's so funny have you seen them at the safari park in california at the san diego zoo safari park i don't think i have no, I don't think so. It's the only place outside of Australia you can see them. And you literally have to get like, you have to wait in line and get a time ticket to go see the platypus. And then once you get your <laughs> ticket, you show up at the time. Then they have this long line like VIPs. And then I was so excited. I like run. I mean, I run in there because I can see them. I'm like, woohoo. And they were like, da 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 And they like, this person held their hand out. No, 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 stop. And they literally like make you stop. And they literally make you wait. And then someone has, you each go like person by person. They have a 30 second timer. And you can look at the platypus for 30 seconds. And then once your time is done, you have to get out of there. So we had to wait in line. It was the craziest thing. Um, but that was my platypus experience. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah. And I love that about you. I'm so excited to know that. <laughs> what? Oh, that I love platypus. I love that. I know that question came out of left field. You're like, I love New Zealand. Did you see a platypus? What? <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, that's okay. Because depending on where you are over there, it's like, what's happening next to me? Oh, a kangaroo? Like, that doesn't exist where I am either. You know, it's like, I'm in New Zealand. Oh, no kangaroos. Like, what's happening? <laughs> that's so cool. So then what happens after New Zealand? You obviously come back to the States. 
I come back to the States. Yep. And then I started working at Bush Gardens. So um, it was, it was quite a jarring cultural experience, I would say, because I went from this tiny place to working for at the time, a giant beer company, Anheuser-Busch owned Bush Gardens <laughs> at that point. So it was, it was corporate America. Um, but it was, it was, you know, back when Julie Scardino was with the parks and I, it was, it was again, so I started shed, right. Big, big fun downtown aquarium, mo high research you know back to big fun place you know there was a 13 foot um snake that was next door to me in my office and uh you know roller coasters outside the park you know i'd be on the phone with people and then outside you'd hear <laughs> <laughs> i have to explain that i'm sorry sorry <laughs> roller coaster <laughs> and then <laughs> And then at one point we were desensitizing some, our, our, our tigers, we had new, new tigers. And then, uh, all of a sudden I turned around in my office. I'm like, Oh, well, there's a sloth and a turtle now in my office. They, my staff said, well, I just thought we'd get them out of the way of the, of the animals. Well, I'm like, that's fine. That's fine. Like, let's put the sloth <laughs> and the turtle in my office before the tigers walk down the hall. That's good. <laughs> oh my God. That sounds amazing. And for listeners who don't know, Julie, Julie Scardina, she was the ambassador for SeaWorld and Bush Gardens for years. You would see her on the tonight show on the today show. I mean, she worked for them for years. Yeah, she was a celebrity. Still, I mean, she's she's awesome. Still, one of my good friends in the industry, and and uh, I would get this text from my mom like, Julie Scardina is on the on Tonight Show. I'm like, I know she's in a meeting with me right now. We're talking about her appearance, mom. Like, don't worry, we're all connected. Because my mom just never really, you know, she's you you should meet her. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's uh, she was awesome. She was like Jeannie, super accessible, super yeah. super real person. Yeah, because I would grow up watching Julie, and we were on the same shows, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, and I remember Julie, man, it was just so hard to compete with her because she would come with, I, I've seen her with like, with tigers, with tapers, with sloths, penguins, I mean, I mean, she, back in the day, <laughs> she, you just, you couldn't compete with her. She would come with SeaWorld and this giant team, and, and the ambassadors were great, and she always was <laughs> so good on TV, and um as a kid growing up, it was always like, oh man, Julie's on again. But I, I really looked up to her though, because it was, uh, you know, she was great at presenting animals on television, great interacting with celebrities, always putting the animals first. I think she does a fantastic job. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And, and I give you and Julie and, and the people that are on TV with animals a lot of credit because it's hard. It's harder than it looks. Um, you know, I know just even being from the outside and answering questions sometimes on television, let alone trying to handle animals and, and things like that. So it's it's hard. It is so hard. And Julie is the one person we've been in contact who I've been trying to get her on the podcast. And I'm telling you, I have gotten like Jeff Corwin. I've had Jack Hanna on this podcast. I've had Nat Geo people. And Julie, I've been trying to snag her. Maybe I'll send her another email because I would really like to ask her about her experience, you know? Oh, yeah. Hey, I'll send her an email too. We'll, we'll, we'll hit, her on, hit her on both sides. You I, should. I got her to... Yeah, I've been talking with her recently. Yeah, but I, I, you'd have a great time talking to her. Yes. Okay. So anyway, so you're at Bush Gardens dealing with roller coasters. This is a complete side note. Did you ever ride the roller coasters <laughs> on your brakes or was that just like too good or you just weren't into that? Uh, maybe. Can I admit that? Of yes. course. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> did you, did you get at the front of the line at Bush Gardens though? That's the real question. 
sometimes. That is so Should cool. Should I say that out loud? Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, one time we had a we had a, an AZA, which is the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. We had a we had a meeting, and so you know, two thousand industry professionals come in, and we're hosting them at Bush Gardens. We have this big nighttime event, and and so Shikra, one of the big coasters. Um, those of us who are working the event, you know, we're, 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 we're glad handling and seeing people. And, you know, you're just constantly on like, you know, and you're just at that point, you're running on adrenaline. And I think it was nine o'clock at night. And, um, I said to my friend, like, we've got to go ride Chica one more time. I got to burn off this adrenaline because I got to keep talking to people, but I need a second. And so we run up to the roller coaster and the staff like, all right, come on, come on. And so we get on this roller coaster and it, seats it's got three rows of eight and so it seats 24 people and my friend and i are the only people on this coaster Aww. it's pitch black at night and so you're riding this coaster and we're like ah! we're the only ones screaming this is super creepy but super awesome at the same Aww. time so we, we rode it got there and, you know, run off the line i mean i work there but i run off the line look at our picture and the whole thing is black except for like two of us in the corner of the coaster <laughs> But it was, oh. I'm like, hey, well, here we go. Bush Gardens at night. These are the perks. <laughs> that is so cool. I'm so jealous. And that coaster, so I've only been to Bush Gardens once. And by the way, I was so impressed. Not only, I mean, uh, uh, like it's a great theme park, but a beautiful zoological facility. I had no idea. I mean, beautiful exhibits. I just was blown away. Probably one of the best zoos I've ever been to in the country. I was so impressed with bush gardens but yeah shikra yeah that was that was a coaster what was it's it's a stand-up coaster right and or no does it shoot you straight down at first it's crazy yeah yeah right right like your feet dangle oh my god you hang over that side and and then you go but yeah you're exactly right i mean i thought bush gardens was such a it was such a beautiful park to work at it's probably the only amusement park i could have worked at because it had a zoo (laughs) or it was a zoo with an amusement park however you classify it but it's a it's a great place with great staff and awesome animals that's amazing well julie thank you for telling me your backstory i guess we should your publicist is going to kill me we should talk about your book the (laughs) the, (laughs) uh the wisdom from the wild the nine unbreakable laws of leadership from the animal kingdom that is your new book and congratulations on writing a book Thank you. Thank you. It's it's so exciting. It's been 25 years in the making, so I'm really, really thrilled and beyond honored to be able to share stories now. Well, and I was going to ask, it t- so it took you 25 years to write this? Well, <laughs> you know, it was me in college, and um, I had an assignment my senior year, and it was... Um, you know, pretend you basically I ended up pretending I worked at an aquarium and how would I what would I teach high school kids about? And I thought, well, let me use a coral reef as an analogy for how a business operates, because it's going to interest the kids, even if they're not interested in science. I'll hook them because a lot of the kids, you know, know and like business and then vice versa. The kids who like science, I can teach them about business. And then from there, all the analogies just um, came into different facets of my work and then. About two years ago, I thought, I'm just, uh, I'm ready. I'm ready to share these. I have enough experience and enough stories to share, both from the zoo and aquarium side as well as the business side. And I want to, I I yeah, get it out there. But also, I got to give little insights about what it's like to actually work in zoos and aquariums, too. That's amazing. Can you be honest, was writing the book a nightmare or was it an enjoyable process? <laughs> well, you know, it was COVID. So <laughs> I was like... 
I don't have much else to do right now, so <laughs> we might as well write it. Um, but it was uh, it was hard. It was harder than I thought. You know, five rounds of editing. I didn't even know there were five different types of editing. Mm. Um, but I learned, and uh, you know, my kids learned as well that mom still has basically people who are teaching her how to write with all these edits. And so that was fun for them to see that mom still gets grades on her schoolwork, if you will. <laughs> oh my gosh. Was that, was that hard when you put your heart and soul, then you have an editor go, Oh, maybe not scratch that. Was it hard to be, you know what I mean? To see people do that to your work? Oh yeah, totally. Absolutely. Because I, in fact, I, I, my writing process was not fluid. You mm. know, it would be like, here's a bunch of stuff. Okay. No, I need to pull back. I need to pull back. Cause I, I can't, I'm not ready to share. Okay. Here I am. I'm ready to share. I have all these ideas. Nope. Now I got to pull back. I got to pull back. Um, but you know, I, I connect my lead editor has a bearded dragon, which you'll appreciate. <laughs> nice. And so she's, she's an animal person and she, you know, she got it from the beginning. So, I mean, definitely, I, if I'm being honest, I had some times where I called her, I'm like, I don't know if this is, I, I don't know if I can do it. And she said, yeah, yes, you can. And I'm, I'm with you and I'm going to be with you. So without that partnership, I don't think I would have been able to do it quite honestly. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the process of writing a book and it's, I remember in just the whole like beginning stages, like pitching publishers, like here's my idea. They'd literally have them say, yeah, that's not going to work. Um, <laughs> let's move on. It's like, what? <laughs> like, but it's so yeah. cool. It's like, nope, not going to work. Um, anyway, we're going to go with this idea and this is so funny. How, anyway, I just, it was funny, but, uh, okay. So Let's actually yes. talk about the book, The Nine Unbreakable Laws of Leadership from the Animal Kingdom. I want to ask you about naked mole rats because your publicist said, what can naked mole rats teach us about the workplace? And I mean, yeah, please enlighten me. I'm so into this. <laughs> so naked mole rats are one of my favorite animals, mostly because they don't... Um, <laughs> they don't look like much from the outside, if I can say it like that. You know, if you see them at a zoo, people think, oh, I don't even really know what that is. And they all just kind of lying in a corner in a pile and under this ground exhibit and like, okay, let's go on and see the big charismatic megafauna like the zebras and the lions and the tigers. But to me, naked mole rats are the very definition of teamwork because they're as highly organized, I mean, they're a little mammal. They live in, in Africa under the ground and um, they're basically hairless, like they're naked. And so they have to rely on each other to help them regulate their body temperatures. They're basically blind. They have this huge tunnel system that is highly intricate, um, but they live in a colony as much like bees with different roles. You know, they're <laughs> laying urine trails and they have a toilet chamber. And, and the most direct tie to me is when you are in a team, no matter if it's at the workplace or in any facet of your life, sometimes from the outside, your team doesn't look like it's either capable of much or maybe just it just shouldn't even be as highly functioning as it is. But as the leader of the team or even the team members, you need to be proud of the fact that you are naked mole rats because you're unique, you're unique together, and you're uniquely designed for the task that you are doing. And, you know, naked mole rats don't try to be anything other than what they are. And they're really good at being naked mole rats and highly successful. And that's what 
that team should be as well. Be who you are, ignore the naysayers and own your uniqueness because that is how you're going to make your unique mark in the world. And only that team with those unique people involved can do what they're designed to do. I love that. So it's like a great, yeah, like a great message for anyone who's ugly in the team. No, I'm kidding. Um, I was just thinking, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, I think they're cute. Uh, no, they're kind of scary looking, but that's really good. That's interesting. Okay. How can a board of directors feature a giraffe or termite? I'm so curious about this. <laughs> So, you know, as, as a, as a professional, I've learned through my career that I learn and need people who are different than me. Right. So mm -hmm. I talk a lot and the people that I've connected with the most are the people who don't, and they synthesize all the information. They come with just one pithy statement and they summarize everything. So that was my first experience. A board of directors to me is one of the most diverse teams or can be one of the most diverse teams because you get people from different um, career paths, different interests for the organization, different ties to the organization, et cetera, but they've got to work together. And by definition, you've got some people who are very different, like a termite and like a giraffe. But in nature, termites and giraffes need each other because as the termites are, are eating the, the, the roughage, eating the plants, and then they're basically um, creating an environment where giraffes can better survive. And so, again, from the outside, they may look like they shouldn't even really interact, but they really need each other to be successful in the African savanna. Oh, I love that. Okay. And what do, can you enlighten me more? Like what do termites do? You said they eat the vegetation and I know they create the the whole termite mounds, but how does that help giraffes? Well, um, because they're they're by definition breaking it down, so they're oh. um, creating um, like oases of, of of nutrients. Okay. And so, Perfect. and then the giraffes are coming over, and they're and they're having you know urine, feces, and and then adding to that. So it's like there was a research study done a number of years ago where they saw these these green spots, if you will, on the arid. Savannah, and it was where the termites were living and where the giraffes were coming over. Oh. Um, so they were co-creating, if you will, a, a habitat that helped each other survive. Oh, that's so interesting. I've never, that, that's amazing. Very, see, I'm looking, lear, learning something new, giraffes and termites. Are there any <laughs> any other fun, fun stories from the book or analogies that you can, you know, takeaways? Yeah, you know, some of my favorites to talk about are sea cucumbers. Oh. Because... Um, I talk about them in the idea around resiliency because sea cucumbers are related to sea stars. So a sea star, you know, from the outside, a lot of people know what that is or are interested in that animal, want to pick it up, et cetera. But a sea cucumber kind of looks like a big old lump of something right on the sea floor. But sea cucumbers, when they are threatened, they can literally throw up their guts, if you will. Um, well, not if you will, that's what they do. Um, <laughs> and they throw up their guts and the predator will either be disgusted and swim away or may even eat, you know, their guts. But the sea cucumber, just like a sea star can regenerate one of its arms, a sea cucumber can regenerate its guts. So to me, like, when you think about the times as a leader or a professional, when you are just feeling up against the wall, things are not going well, you feel sick to your stomach and you feel like, I don't know if I have it in me 
to make it through this situation. I want you to remember that you are not only wired to survive, but you're wired to thrive because if a sea cucumber can re literally regrow its own guts in the face of impending doom, like about to be eaten, you can too as a leader. I love that. I just think, oh my goodness, I love chatting with you. And we are nearing the end of the interview. Although I would like to invite you for our after show. Do you want to come over to the after show? Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks. Okay, awesome. Now, but before we hit the after show, your book, Wisdom from the Wild, The Nine Unbreakable Laws of Leadership from the Animal Kingdom. Where can listeners pick that up? They can get on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or really your favorite local independent bookstore can order it as well. So technically it's published January 4th because of all the COVID craziness right now, but you can pre-order it now. That's amazing. And I will include the links in the show notes. Do you also, if people want to connect with you, Julie, are you on Facebook or Instagram by chance? Yeah, absolutely. Instagram is the best place. I'm Julie C. Henry. I'm on Twitter as well. Um, oh. That's where I'm the most active. Nice. Awesome. I will include the links in the show notes. And listeners, if you want to join us over for the after show, all you have to do is head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max to listen to the rest of the interview. But with that said, let's do it. Julie, let's head on over to the after show. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.